0: Faith by nature, by its nature, requires trust. See, oftentimes, it comes down to our ability to trust. Say, God, I know you're able. God, you have all power. God, you can do anything. But the question is, can I trust you to do it? Some may say, well, that's an easy answer. But many times what we say and what we do don't always align. Senior Pastor George Martin Jr. discusses the power of prayer and how it is a dependent union. Turn to James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, as Pastor Martin explains. When it comes to praying, when it comes to uh, exercising this gift that we have to pray, that Prayer must be coupled with faith. So we see here James speaking of prayer because if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. We see prayer that he said, ask God. But then he goes on to say that it's important that we must also have faith without doubting. There are some things in life that are synonymous and they must be accompanied by the other, like hunger and eating. If you're hungry, there's nothing else that's going to satisfy that. If you say, hey, I'm hungry, and somebody say, oh, let me give you a hug. You say, oh, I appreciate the hug, but I really need something to eat. Or if you're thirsty, you uh, having someone to tell you a good day. It doesn't help to quench the thirst because thirst and drinking something go together. The one cannot be satisfied without the other. I cannot satisfy my hunger, Sister Freeman, without eating something. I cannot satisfy my thirst without drinking something. So ultimately, if I don't understand that faith has to be coupled with prayer, then I miss the true essence of what faith and prayer can accomplish. Because this is true of faith. Just again, as you think about someone Uh, telling you of a need and you begin to respond to that need but you do everything except for supply the need prayer needs faith because the one depends upon the other the two are inseparable because, yes, you can pray without faith. And you can say, I have faith without prayer. But in order for you to actually accomplish that which you intend in prayer, as James said, you have to have faith. No doubt it. And James says that we must pray with no doubt. And I want to just clear this up because anytime we talk about faith, one of the things that we respond, we oftentimes cringe and say, Lord, I just don't have enough faith. I just don't have enough faith. I want to correct that. Because if you're born again, you have enough faith. Because it takes faith to be saved. So here is the problem, Brother Clint. My challenge is not whether I have enough faith, it's that I have too much doubt. My problem is not my faith because I had enough faith to believe Jesus can save me. My struggle is with my doubt. So we're going to explore this week how these two are a dependent union, prayer and faith. So we have embarked, as I said earlier, upon this month-long church-wide prayer effort. We're even fasting on, Monday, on Wednesday. Some of us are fasting as a part of this time. But here's the thing. If we don't Couple our prayer with faith, this noble effort could easily become just another rote church activity mm-hmm. right. or a rote church program that the new pastor has. Because when we define rote, it says something that's mechanical or Habitually repeated, repetitive, or something that's just routine, or a course of procedure. So, how do we do this, Pastor? we want to we're gonna, we're gonna, we're, we're praying on. We're gonna pray these things, and I, I need to sign up. And there's gonna be others that are gonna be praying on the day that I'm praying, and then on Wednesdays we're gonna come in. We're gonna pray at six, and then. If I choose, I can fast from 6 to 12 or 6 to 6. Just understanding the course of the procedures rather than understanding that prayer must be coupled with faith. So that leads me to my first point today it's simply this it takes two. Now, I know that 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 uh, point stir as a title of of a song that it may stir something. It may have been the song you had at your wedding. It takes two. Me and you. Here we talk about the two prayer and faith, because in verse number five, here's what James says. He says, let him ask. There it is. That's prayer. If any man is lacking wisdom, let him ask, ask God, ask God, coming to God. We come to God with our requests through prayer. So we see prayer in verse number five. Then in verse number six, he says, let him ask in faith. Not just coming and saying, God, I've got some things I need to ask you for. But as I come, I come asking by faith, which is how, again, how we were born again. See, when we come to God, we come to Him through faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. So again, if I have faith for salvation, I've got enough faith. And Jesus took the pressure off your faith because he says, "If you have faith the size of a, you could move a mountain. Wait a minute. Just a little faith can move a mountain. So now you understand why our problem is not faith, because James says, ask in faith, not doubting. Prayer and faith depend on one another. Just if you would write this note down, because I think this is going to help to bring what I'm saying into focus. Faith by nature, by its nature, requires trust. See, oftentimes, it comes down to our ability to trust. We say, God, I know you're able. God, you have all power. God, you can do anything. But the question is, can I trust you? to do it. See, one of the things that we must always have in mind when we come to God in prayer is that he is a liberal giver. We see that in the text. He says, in verse 5, it says, let him ask in faith, I'm going to let him ask God who gives to all liberally. He says, God God don't, what he has, he doesn't want to hold back. And, and, And Paul was so convinced of this that in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, here's what he said about God. He says, now unto him who is able, and here, listen to the language that he uses. He uses things that go past, go beyond, go overboard. He says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask or think. So he says, God is a liberal giver. So when you come, you come to the one who's a liberal giver expecting that he gives liberally. But he goes on to say, according to the power that works in us. Wait, God, he goes beyond. He has no limit. He can go exceed. He can exceed. He does things in abundance. He goes above and beyond he says, according to the power working in you, Brother Thomas, the power working in us. Here's the key. You say, Pastor Mark, well, what, what is that power? Well, I'm glad you asked because I came with an answer. (laughs) The power that works in us is our faith our ability to believe and to see and to trust in him in spite of what we see. We've heard the story of Peter. Watch this now. Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat, but he didn't have enough trust to stay on the water. Because here's how the scene unfolds. They're all afraid. They see Jesus walking. They think it's a ghost. He said, don't be afraid. It's me. And Peter says, hey, if it's you, there it is. He just said, it's me. (laughs) Look how we come to him. We come to him this way. He says, it's me. Don't be afraid, you all. It's me. Here's how Peter responds. If it's you, I've proven myself. I've told you who I am. I've told you what I can do. On, you see me work. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it's me. But then you still approach me with if. Right. If it's you, All right. bid me to come to you. And Jesus says, one word, come. See, oftentimes, when God responds, we want him to give us a whole lot. We want him to give us a word. Give me something that, that 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 that's broad and big and Jesus says one thing, come. He gave him authority and he gave him a command all in one word, come. Peter gets out on the water. And notice if you look at the at the story, you understand that the winds and the waves were already blowing and splashing because they were actually struggling because of it. So nothing changed about the circumstances by which Peter stepped out onto the water. The only thing that changed is he took his eyes off Jesus. Because the Bible says as he got out there, he, I could see him looking at Jesus' face. Say, Lord, I'm coming. But the word says he began to look at the waves and the wind. And he began to sink. I'm going to come back to that later. Because there's something to be seen in that text that I want to share with you, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So right now we're dealing with the power working in us. And we know that to be our faith because John says it in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Here's what he says. For whatsoever or whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That's talking about you and me. We've been born of God, born again believers. Whatsoever is born of God, it overcomes, we overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. The power that Paul is speaking about is the power of of, of our faith or our ability to believe in the one who we're talking to or who we're crying out to. So now unto him who's able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all you ask or think, according to the power that's working in you, that power is your faith. And I'm telling you today, your problem is not that you don't have enough of it. You just have too much of this other stuff. Doubt. That leads us to point number two. Prayers that are infected with doubt will not be answered. Prayer that are infected with doubt will not be answered. Because in verse six, here's what James says. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. See, when we have doubt, boy, we are all over the place. One day we're shouting victory. The next minute we're down in the dumps. God's going to do it. I don't know if he's going to do it. He's able, but I'm not sure if he's able. Because he says, you hear some bad news. Oh, no. Somebody calls you and encourages you. Yes, I feel encouraged. Here's some more bad news. Oh, no. You read an article online. Oh. Only five out of ten people survive this. Because in the midst of doubting, whatever comes, it keeps us off balance. God, I'm asking you to blend this relationship, fix the breach in the relationship. Then you get a, you see a post on Facebook. (sighs) Why would he say that? Just as we was getting ready to. But then God says, I still need you to trust me. Don't allow what you hear, what you see to affect what you believe because that's what Peter did. He was believing, but he allowed what he was seeing and hearing to affect him. Because he could see the waves, he could hear the wind. He can't see wind, but you can see the effects of wind, but you hear it. Oftentimes, what we see and hear, it affects us. Verse 7 says, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from God. So, prayers that are infected with doubt will not be answered. The account of Peter that I referenced earlier, walking on water with Jesus, is found in Matthew chapter 14. You can look at verses 28 through 31. You can write that down and read it in your your leisure, but I just want to pull something out of there because I said earlier that our problem is not faith. I pointed to the fact that Jesus told us that if you have a little faith size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And I want to draw you in and show you something. I'm going to read that. You don't have to turn there, uh, but I just want you to listen in for this. to this. It's Matthew chapter 14, verse 28 through 31. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it, there it is, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, one word, come. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on water. He's on it. He's walking on water. It didn't say he stepped on it. He's walking. He's actually moving forward on water to, to go to Jesus. But, verse 30 says, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, verse 31, and caught him. And here's what Jesus said. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Little faith, why do you doubt? Now, there's something that I want you to see here, because the Greek word of faith in this phrase is unique to this phrase. It's not talking about your faith to be saved. It's only used five times in the New Testament. Watch this now. And every time this Greek word for faith is used, it's used in the phrase of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Every time. You can look it up. Check it out. Of all the times you see faith in the New Testament, the five times that this word is used is always in the phrase, oh, of you, you of little faith. Because here's the thing. Jesus is not talking about whether you can believe. He's actually talking about your trust. Because that word actually speaks of a lack of confidence in the Christ. It's always only in, Jesus is the only, he, he uses this exclusively in that phrase, O you or O ye of little faith. The lack of confidence in God's ability. Because when Jesus does that, They're tender rebukes. He says, oh, he's not, he's not scorning them. It's a tender rebuke because he uses it each time. He uses it three times to reference fear. In response to someone having fear, uses in Matthew chapter eight, verse 26, when when he's responding to someone whose fear has gripped them and caused them to lose confidence in what he's able to do. Again, in Matthew 14 and 31, and then also again in Matthew six and 18. Six and eight, rather. But he also uses it two more times to respond to anxiety. Someone who's anxious about what's going on, we see here in our example today that, 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 that Peter becomes anxious and excited about what's going on. He's already walking on water. But it's fear, then anxiety takes him. So we see these tender rebukes of Jesus saying, oh, you a little faith. Because think about this. It's not him slandering them for saying little faith because he's already taught that you don't need a whole lot of it. He speaks of a lost confidence in his ability, which points us to point number three, the last point for the day. Doubt untreated will diminish your faith. Because we established that doubt is like an infection. So you have to treat it. Looking back at verse number six, James 1 and 6, he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Because faith is what stabilizes us. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me, stabilize me. My faith in God says, hey, if he's standing by me, I can make it. But on the contrary, doubt destabilizes us. Because he says, he who doubts is like a wave, like one that's being tossed with the waves and the wind. One more note, if you would, write this one down. Doubting God can affect other areas of your life. Not just the thing you're believing in and praying in at that point, it could could affect every other area of your life, potentially. Because when you look at verse number eight, look what he says. The one who's doubting, the one that's filled with doubt, they're double-minded and unstable in all his ways indecisive can't just make a choice make one decision take it back make another one but it all starts in this sense of being filled with doubt as we trust God so like an infection as I said before doubt untreated diminishes faith so Pastor Martin if you're saying that doubt is like an infection then how do I treat it you go to the doctor you say I got a rash I got something going on I'm not sure what's going on you don't want him to say hmm Oh, that's pretty red. Oh, it's spreading. Look at those, those bumps you've got there. Oh, how does that feel? You want him to help you with treating it. Well, since you asked the question, I came with a prescription. How do we treat doubt? Two ways. You build faith with the word and you exercise your faith regularly. You got to build your faith with the word and then you exercise faith regularly. Let's start with build your faith. Here's what what, what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 7. How do I build my faith? Romans 10 and 7 says, so then faith comes by Hearing and hearing the Word of God. Amen. If I'm going to build my faith, if I'm going to grow my faith, I've got to have a healthy dose of the Word on a regular basis. Amen. I've got to be able to get into the Word and hear what God says Amen. Amen. and understand how He has made promises to me. Right. So I build my faith through the word, because faith comes by hearing the word. And I, wa- I want you to observe something. Oftentimes, when we go through a difficult time, that's when we get in our Bible the least. Let's just be honest. Oh, I just, I ain't on my devotionals. I, I've got so many things on my mind, so much going on around me. but that's actually the time that I need the word the most because I need to build my faith. Number two is you got to exercise your faith. You got to exercise that faith. Faith is like a muscle. When you don't use it, it deteriorates. James chapter 2 and verse 20 says it this way. But do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. If you don't work faith, if you don't exercise faith, it dies. Let me use it as an example. Has anyone here ever had to um, spend a, a lengthy time in a hospital bed? Or you know someone that has been in the hospital bed and they have, they've been laying down for some time. One of the things that they say that is necessary is they have to get them up and rehab their muscles. They have to rehab those muscles. Like, in, in like manner, if we don't use faith, if we don't exercise faith, we have to rehab our faith. I've got some props that I hope to help me today. What you see, these are therapeutic balls or balls that are intended to help in the process of rehabbing your grip or your, the usage of your hand. Now, they are, there's three of them and each one of them is a bit more firm than the other. Because the goal would be that as you begin your process of rehabbing, you start start slow. Your muscles may be weak. You got to strengthen them. Now, this is likened to faith in that here's what Paul says. Ephesians 3 and 20 says that we have a God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think and that's where we have to stop. According to what we're able to ask or think, I wanna use the hand as the ability to grasp something. If you've had surgery on your hand and you had it, I, had it, I broke my uh, wrist in high school doing, playing football and I had to wear a cast for, for half a year, it just wouldn't heal. And so during that time I wasn't using that hand so when they when took the cast off that my left hand was so weak that it was difficult to grab things. So Paul says that God is able but he's limited by what we're able to grasp. What we're able to hold, grab hold to in terms of his ability. So as we teach this, this message on faith you might walk out here feeling charged up. I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a use my faith. But here's the problem. You might have to first rehab your faith right. before you go out and believe big. So here's what you do. You start small. Start working your faith muscle. I'm going to believe God in the little things. I'm going to trust you, God in the little things. Because according to what I'm able to ask or think. So as I'm able to get my grip stronger, I can grab more. And after I understand that I've tried him in some smaller things and I, I move on up to the, to the next ball, I, I begin to trust him in some bigger things. I'm, I'm rehabbing my faith. I'm getting myself to the point where I'm going to believe him in a big way, but I, I'm going to start where I am. I'm going to start where I am because God meets me where I am. I'm here right now, God. I don't have faith to believe like that, but I have faith to believe just like this. So I'm getting my grip stronger because it's according to what I'm able to ask or think. I got to be able to grasp it in my mind. I got to grasp it in my heart and believe it. And after I've spent some time and I've rehabbed enough and I feel like my grip is getting stronger, then I move on to the next ball. Now, it's even more firm. It's bigger greater things, because as I believe and I trust and God fulfills and he responds and he does what I've asked him to do, then I'm able to believe him for bigger things. But the challenge is, these balls are useless, brother Jerome, if they don't get used. If you have your faith just sitting on the table, looking good, yeah, faith, I believe. But it's not until I take them out. I'm in the Word, I'm believing God. I'm in the Word, I'm believing God. I'm in the Word. And I'm believing God. And every time he works his work in my life and answers the things that I've been asking, I move on up. To the point where I can grab hold of something big. Because if I'm able to get in the word to feed my faith faith comes by hearing and I'm exercising my faith regularly when the big thing comes I can grab hold and I can trust him in ways that I've never trusted him before because we have, we are on this journey and praying for an entire month as a church and we Shared last week how we are better together, and that when we pray collectively and come together to collaborate in prayer, it intensifies our requests. So here's what I'd like to do. I have a church-wide challenge for us. The prayer is not a challenge; it's an invitation. But this is what I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge each one of us to believe God in ways. We've never believed him before. To see him do things we've never seen him do before. I showed you that we have to rehab faith. You, We come together. We are believing that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. But it's according to the power It's working in us. As much as you are rehabbed in your faith, the greater you're able to grasp. To reach the unreachables, to, to, to stretch out and say, God, I believe you in big ways. Because I'm treating my doubt. I've been doubting you about this. I've been doubting you in this area been doubting you concerning that. But I'm just going to believe you. Because here's what the word says about Abraham. It just says Abraham believed God. They say he believed in God. He says just believed him. Yeah. And see when you, when you begin believing God. You begin to, to stretch yourself. Yes. In terms of how you believe. Yeah. Because when we go back and we look at Abraham. God tells him. He waits all this time for this son to come. The son comes and we know that he's had him long enough that the boy is is walking and able to carry wood. So he's a a lad, he's he's grown up. So he's grown fond of this boy and he's there enjoying the blessing that God has given. Then God says, Abraham, I want you to, to take him up onto the mountain and sacrifice him. Now, wait a minute, God. You want me to sacrifice the boy you gave me as a promise? So, here's the thing you need to understand as well. The mountain that God told him to go to was three days away. So, he has three days of daddy-son time one-on-one. And they get to the mountain, and he tells the servants, he says, wait here. The boy and I will go and worship and come back. Wait a minute now. You got to understand. He's there to sacrifice the son. But he tells the servants, we're going, and we're coming back. Here's what you need to understand. I know you've heard preachers preach this message. I can see Abraham uh, standing there with tears rolling down his eyes. Abraham, Abraham. None of that was happening. When you read Hebrews 11, here's what it says. Abraham, when he laid the boy down, the boy was dead to him. Because here's what Abraham believed. Abraham believed because God had promised this boy will have children and the boy doesn't have any children, so the boy can't die today. So he says, Abraham believed that when he killed the boy, he was going to step back and wait for God to raise him back up. Why? Because he understood that life and death was in God's hands. And if God said this boy will have children and he will be the father of many nations, this boy has no children. Therefore, today is not his end. So we will go worship and we will come back because this boy's got to go have some children. So we're going to believe God in ways that we've never believed him before. Like Abraham. To see him do something we've never seen him do before. There is no record in scripture that Abraham had ever seen God resurrect anybody up. And yet he's believing because God cannot lie. And the boy has no children. He must be resurrected today. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, Please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes. Visit us at AmityBC.org. Until next week, be blessed.